Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Guiding Light Podcast. My name's Captain Shane, and as always, I'm your host. This week, I have my father, Bill McClellan, with us. Hello, glad to be here. Be here, I'm actually in your house right now, but... That you are. (laughs) Anyway, so what we're going to talk about today is... A little over two years ago, I took my dad on the Trans-Siberian train. We did the western cities of St. Petersburg, Moscow, a couple others. We did Mongolia, and we rode the entire train, something like 9,200 kilometers across the entire country. And we're going to discuss that today. Just so you guys know, my dad... Growing up, he we didn't go every year, but we did a lot of trips, and they were usually longer trips, and he's kind of the one that got me traveling. We did the U.S. usually, and some of the places we went, we did a month-long trip to Alaska and back. Yes, and we uh, took trips to Florida and saw everything between Dallas, Texas, and, and Florida, all of Florida, and we went to New Orleans. Uh, we went to the Grand Canyon. Las Vegas. Uh, we went to White Sands. White Sands, New Mexico. You wanted to go further than White Sands, but we just had too much fun there as yeah, kids. We had, a, even I had a lot of fun at White Sands, New Mexico. Let's see, Carlsbad Cavern? Yeah, we did that on the way back. Oh, okay. That was the same trip. Man, I went to Alaska was the big one. That was our big trip. That was a month-long Everything in between. But that's not what we're talking about today. No. We are talking about Russia and Mongolia. Anything you want to start with? Well, the first story was I flew from Kansas City, Missouri to St. Petersburg. And Shane, he flew from uh, Jordan in the Middle East to uh, St. Petersburg and we were supposed to meet up in about 10 minutes at the airport. When I got there, I uh, got off the plane, I looked around, there's no shame, and I saw a Starbucks. So I went over and sat down in the Starbucks. I'd never ordered anything, because I didn't speak Russian, and I sat there and waited. Well, I come to find out, Shane had Missed his plane, but it wasn't his fault. There wasn't anything I could do but just sit there and wait. The only other thing I could do was just go to a ticket counter and get another ticket to go straight back to Kansas City, which I wasn't particularly wanting to do because I wanted to see Russia. So I sat there for a little over four hours, and Shane had caught the next flight, and he walked off the plane, and I was waiting for him. Well, you kind of had to wait for me because you didn't know how to get into the city, where to go in the city, what hotel we were staying at. You knew nothing. I I didn't know anything of the agenda, and I didn't know how to speak Russian. And so I was in a real pickle. But you had Starbucks. Yeah. All all the way in St. Petersburg, and you had Starbucks. So since we are talking about St. Petersburg, what did you think of St. Petersburg? Oh, I thought it was very fascinating. It, we saw, you know, all the pictures you see of Russia is the one church that is in the Red Square in Moscow. But there are churches everywhere. The church 
that I enjoyed the most was in St. Petersburg. We saw it at night, and it was the Church of the Nativity. And it was lit up, and it was just beautiful. And I liked the, the canals and the bridges. That they just St. Petersburg is a, a beautiful city. Which is part of the entire history of St. Petersburg. Unlike the rest of Europe that goes back thousands of years, St. Petersburg really only goes back, what, 300 years from Peter the Great. Yeah, Peter the Great wanted a uh, port to get the, the ocean on the western side of Russia, and he built uh, St. Petersburg. And he wanted it to be built kind of resembling a lot of the other, I don't want to say imperial cities of Europe, but the palaces and that type of thing of other European monarchs. Well, isn't it known as the Venus of the North? The Venice? Venice. Venus is up in the skies. Yeah. My tongue gets in the way. So anyways, the biggest thing we wanted to see, as everybody I would think, is of course the Winter Palace or the Hermitage. Unfortunately, the first day it was closed. Yeah, we went, we walked there to find out that it was closed. But we did go the second day. What did you think of it? Did you know anything about it before you got there? No, I didn't know anything about it. Now, you told me that it was one of the five greatest art galleries in the world. That's in my opinion. And uh, it is huge. Of course, Russia is huge. And we got in there, and they had... A lot of art. It would take a week at least to go through and see everything in that palace. But we spent an entire day. We saw a lot. Yes. And I was impressed. You were actually entertained the entire day. Yeah, and the, the art was from great artists from way back. I can't remember any of the names right now, but they were known artists several hundred years ago that the, the one painting is worth uh, quite a bit they had, uh, like a million dollars or so and they would have you know five or six of these from the same artists just so you know a lot of those artworks a million dollars would be the poor one okay <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how much they are but artwork goes for a lot anyways so the first day we got there the winter palace was closed and so we decided, let's go to, was it the Russian Museum or the, I think it was the Russian Museum. We are thinking history. It turned out to be another art museum. You remember that? No, I don't remember that so much. No. I thought we went to the fort. Well, we did that after we did that museum. Okay. So we did the fort, and what did you think of the fort? It was interesting, very, the thing I liked the most is, I guess, about it was the, uh, dungeon and the prison cells in the basement. Which held, uh, you know, had more history to this, but the significance of it was holding the dissidents during the revolution. Yes. In what, 1917? Yes. So it, that part was interesting. I personally like going into the church and seeing the tombs for Catherine the Great, Peter the Great, and I think five other ones, six other ones. That was very interesting, yes. We was looking for the tomb of Ivan the Terrible because these caskets, they're put in a vault 
but then the vault is just sitting right in the main room of the church and there's lots of them and uh, we was looking for Peter the Great and Shane finally figured out that they had built a wall and Peter the Great's casket was one place and they built a wall right in front of it so the public could not see it because trying to hide one of the most evil dictators that Russia never had. Not Peter the Great, you're talking... Uh, Ivan the Terrible, I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway, so all that was great, and the thing that was your favorite thing in St. Petersburg, we didn't even know about. We just kind of signed up and said, let's go there, and we found a bus to take us out there. What was your favorite thing in St. Petersburg? My favorite thing in St. Petersburg was Peterhof. It was... Peter the Great's summer palace, winter, summer palace, summer palace. I get them mixed up. And he had a winter palace, which is in St. Petersburg, and it was used, but, and it was nice, but it wasn't over the top. Well, that was with the Hermitage. Yeah, but you go to Peterhof, which it was a, at least a 30-minute bus ride to get to it, maybe longer, it was just over the top in everything. Gold was, they had gold uh, on the ceilings and on the, around every picture frame was, it looked like it was, ma- every picture frame was made of gold. And you could not take a picture in the palace. But on when you went out the back, you could. And they had lots of fountains there and a lot of water. And the water... Uh, it was all gravity fled. It was there was no pumps in any of the fountains. It was water started at the top and it went down the hill, and that caused the fountains to, to spray. And it, you would not know that. And I think it's considered one of the largest fountains in the world. All that together. Yeah, it could be. It and was huge. I would say it and, was. And every every fountain that they had a statue of their spray and water all of them were gold yep and the entire Peterhof to me was on the scale of Varsay just south of Paris I don't know I've never seen that well it was I mean it was meant for a monarch and meant to show off the the wealth of the country and of the czars so anything else about St. Petersburg yeah, one thing I, it fascinated me, and it wasn't anybody else, but they don't have very many telephone poles in the city. They string their telephone poles and the, uh, the electric lines and the telephone lines. They string them from one building to another, or they make uh, have them hung on a wire that is stretched to both buildings on both sides. And I thought that was interesting where we have utility posts to hang the wires on. They just hung them on the buildings. And those of you out there, don't worry because I didn't find it that interesting either. So we'll just let him have that one. The one thing, uh, St. Petersburg, I would say, is one of the most fascinating cities at night. The bridges, the canals, the lights. Just if you're going to be there, definitely walk around at night and take a camera or take some photos. Yes, it is beautiful at night. Uh, one of the stories I like to tell happened in St. Petersburg, and it was at night. 
and we had gone down to see the branches and we were on the way back. Well, Shane is 40 and he walks pretty good and I'm 70 and I was trudging along, I was about 30 feet behind Shane and he had crossed the, the intersection that we'd come to. Almost every intersection had a, st- a light that told you how many seconds you had before the light changed so you knew to get out of the intersection but it would count down for you and it was counting down and so I kind of picked up a little speed and this young couple they shot up to my left and they shot right in front of me and kind of made me stop well I started around them on the left side and a man shot up beside me on the left and so I started around the couple on the right side and another man shot up and he stopped well they didn't realize that the adrenaline got flowing and me good. I yelled for Shane, and then I started through that couple in front of me. And Shane, he turned around, took a couple steps back, and all four of them scattered. But I would not be a bit surprised if I didn't leave some bruises on the couple in front of me because I was shoving through them. I was getting through them. They didn't realize that an old man could move. So you got to be careful. You're going to try to pickpocket an old man which one you pick. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So we left St. Petersburg at like midnight. Yes. And we went overnight on the Red Arrow train. And we were thinking, oh, this is the life. And this is what the entire Trans-Siberian train is going to be like. We went first class. The two of us had a cabin to ourselves. The cabin wasn't much bigger than the others. It might have been a little bit bigger. But when we walked in, they had uh, water there for you. They had fruit drink, uh, fruit juices that you wanted. You had uh, slippers to go to the bathroom so you wouldn't have to put your shoes on. They had shoehorns and combs and just anything else you could think of. And you could you can even settle in before she's taking your breakfast order when you wake up. Yeah. It, it, uh, and it was very nice. And the, the bed, when we made it, was very comfortable. And just so you know, on the trains, the difference, for the most part, of first class versus second class is two people in a cabin for first class and four people in a cabin for second class. Third yeah. class... There are no cabins, man. You yeah. just get everybody in bunk beds all the way through the car. But yeah. Anyway, so we took that, the nicest train we took, and we slept through the whole thing. Yeah. And the going first class on that Red Arrow Express from St. Petersburg to Moscow is the way to go. Maybe during the day on that one. I'd rather sleep through some of the other ones, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But that one was definitely nice. So in Moscow... The capital of Russia, the politics and everything, what was your favorite thing there? Probably the Red Square and the, the church that is in all the pictures of Russia. The name of the, the church was St. Basil, and it's usually in most of the pictures that you see of Russia and the Red Square and the Kremlin. We've, but we found out that the Kremlin... We always think of it as in Moscow. Uh, most of the cities had a, a Kremlin 
and the Kremlin was really a wall that went around the city to protect it from being in, from invaders. And so it, there's more than one Kremlin, but when we say the Kremlin, we talk about the one in Moscow. And just for those out there, when you think Kremlin, what I translate it to is a citadel. Uh, that's probably a good... Yep. So, anyways, keep going. But the, to show the picture of uh, the church of Basil, St. Basil, but there are four other churches in the Kremlin itself in, in Moscow. So there's five of them, and we visited all five of them. In the Kremlin, too, was one of the greatest... Uh, museums that we went to as far as I'm concerned because it showed more than just paintings it was uh, the eggs that they are famous for making those are Fabergé eggs Fabergé eggs uh, it showed gold that they had made into certain items uh, gifts from uh, monarchs to the monarch of Russia at that time weapons it, they had weapons. Had carriages. And then it had a little section that we had to get a special ticket for or something. And that was the gold and the gems. Well, that's the one that I liked. It yeah. Was, and it was interesting. And I could be wrong on the, the statistic, but they said something like over a certain amount of gold, if you find a nugget over this certain size, the government has the right to buy it from you. Do you remember that? And they had some amazingly huge nuggets. I mean, we're talking the size of basketballs. But was it take it from? I mean, buy it from you or take it from you? I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt and say buy it from you, but probably take it. Yeah. But anyway, I found that very interesting. Another thing I found that we went to visit it was a, a a bomb shelter that from the Cold War that we had them here in the United States and. We don't think Russia is thinking much about the Cold War and being bombed, but they, we went to a bomb shelter in Moscow that was basically a museum now, but it was very interesting to go through. The building it was set in had no windows in it. And that's the, the really the only thing that set it, the building off from any other building. It wasn't even a building. It was just basically a concrete block on top of the underground bunker. But it, it was made to look like a building. Yeah. Because this was, we're talking in the middle of Moscow. Moscow. And it was meant not necessarily to survive a nuclear blast. <clears throat> it was meant to be able to survive just long enough to push the button to launch the missiles back at the evil Americans. It took us all the way across Russia. Most. Uh, the people that we could communicate with, they were against war if it came up. And the reason is the populations against war, they lost 23 million people in World War II. And I don't think any other countries lost anywhere close to that amount of people. Since we're on the Cold War, and I think Moscow is a great place to talk about this, I think they were more paranoid about us during the Cold War than Americans were about them. And America was pretty paranoid about the Soviet Union. Well, but they always, they knew they were behind us in technology as far as 
weapons and technology and they everything was about trying to catch the Americans and prevent the Americans from doing this or whatever. Well, that could be. It's, it's hard to say. I lived more through the area than you did and that time period. And there, there was people here in the United States that was, they were pretty concerned. They spent thousands of dollars to build a bomb shelter just for them and their family. And then they buy all this dry goods, food that doesn't taste good and stock it that with. Well, I've seen the films that you went to school with. They said, just get under your desk and you'll be okay. Well, that, <laughs> yeah, but that, people were scared. No, and I don't mean that they weren't scared. It was just, it seemed like they were, you know, the government, the people, they knew that they were behind us, technologically speaking. I think they did. I don't think the people knew it. I think the leaders knew it. Well, that could be. Uh, but where I want to go with this, besides that, the bomb shelter was wicked cool. And it was that plus the Kremlin that you and I both grew up in the Cold War. And here we are. What, did you ever think you would be inside the Kremlin? No, I never. Actually, I never thought I would ever be inside Russia, much less the Kremlin. But I will say... In the Kremlin, you did not go but halfway across one street, and you were told to turn around. And that's where the leaders of the government still ran the government of Russia. Yep, Putin would be right in there. It's the equivalent of if the White House had a wall around it and museums, and, which it kind of does with the Smithsonian, but put it all closer together, and that's what it's like. But you, so we had the museums, we had the churches. It's very interesting what the Kremlin was and, and the fact that we were in it. And, and then seeing the Red Square was pretty awesome. Yes. Red Square did not get its name because of red bricks on the floor or anything like that. It, got, it didn't have red walls? The Kremlin had the red walls, but yeah. I thought the square was named after... Red October Uprising Revolution? Uh, that could be. I don't remember that. I, I can't remember that either. But I, I do remember in the uh, on Red Square, they had a kind of a platform, and they had a statue on this platform, and they had a couple actors that was up there, and you could get your pictures taken with them. And then they had another actor, the third actor. He was a Putin impersonator, and I, I wish I'd gotten a picture with him. It it would have been fun just to hang on the wall because he looked and acted like Putin. He strutted around and he had the suit on. Well, and I knew Putin wouldn't be out there in the middle like that, but you had to do a second take with him. He yeah. looked just like him. Yes. And in Red Square, the other thing is the State Museum, which is your basic history museum very good it's very big everything from pre-historic uh, stuff all the way to current stuff so i did find that interesting but the two things i really thought about the red square first off just like we have in america they had the unknown soldier memorial for world war ii which i think it was beautiful yes and just very well done and then the other thing, we got to go into a mausoleum. Yes, we got to go in and see uh, Lenin. And there was guards at every corner. 
And every time you turn a corner or any corner in the room, there's a guard standing there. We got to see Lennon's body. He, it's preserved. Everybody can see it. Shane was walking there, and he had his hands in his pocket. And a guard stepped up to him and says, Get your hands out of your pocket. And Shane did it quickly, too. <laughs> yeah. They're, I mean, they're walking around with AK-47s. I mean, they... They take guarding this body very, very seriously. And it's been dead since uh, 1920 or something like that. Well, I thought it was later than that, but a long time. Yeah. So the next place we went was Vladimir and Suzdal, which was wonderful. I want to talk about that. But interestingly, we had to take a train there and a train back to Moscow in order to get on the Trans-Siberian train to go back through those particular cities to continue on because I could not figure out a way on the Russian website for the Trans-Siberian train tickets on how to get onto the train in Vladimir. I, I just I finally gave up and said, forget it, we're going two, ba- two hours back to Moscow. And it was all right, you know, we got back to Moscow late at night and we got on the the train, I think the train left at midnight. I believe you're correct, and I think we had like five or six hours in between the two. Yeah. But let's talk about Vladimir and Suzdal. Which one was your favorite? Vladimir is the first one. Right. And that was actually my favorite. It was, the Suzdal was a, a smaller town of 10,000, I believe, and all the buildings had to be wooden and they had to be of structure like they used to have it several hundred years ago. So it, what it is is basically a museum of what Russia used to be. Of all the wooden buildings, schools, churches, stores, everything, that was fascinating. And then they had the Kremlin at that area and they had the river that basically covered two sides of it at the bend of the river and had the wooden berm that went over and a couple churches in there. And I thought that was really cool, seeing that Kremlin. Yes, and in that, took a picture of Shane in front of this door because this door was so massive. It uh, was probably 20 feet high. And I don't know, it would be six to eight feet wide. And there's double doors of them. And it was... It was all wood and it was carved out. It was beautiful, but it was massive also. And then you had to rest, but I took an hour and went over to this one monastery and I can't remember the name of it, but that was a big monastery. We walked along the outside wall, if you remember. Yes. And that wall just seemed like it went forever. When you're in Russia, you can go through all the churches you want to. They're uh, all Eastern Orthodox, and they're all decorated, pretty. Uh, but you, uh, you'll get tired of seeing churches. Now, over what I found interesting over in Vladimir was the old city gate. Yes, I like the city gates in Vladimir. One thing I do like is we went out to eat that evening, and we walked down the street, and there was a pizza joint. We went in this pizza joint. We didn't know what we, what it was, just pizza, and so we ordered a pizza. And when we got the silverware and the napkins and everything, it was Papa John's pizza. 
which I thought was kind of fascinating. <laughs> I I remember that. You're right. We had no clue as Papa John's, and and we're like, well, crap. We're not eating anything local. <laughs> we're eating in an American restaurant. The speaking of food, I gotta cut back real quick. We'll come back, but so we go to a couple restaurants, and they don't speak a whole lot of English over in Russia. You can find people here and there, but. We go to a restaurant, no English menu, no, the lady doesn't speak English, but, you know, I kind of, you know, with hand signals and, and, you know, whatnot, and got stuff ordered, and you're all flustered, and, you know, and I finally get you something ordered. Well, the next day, we go to another restaurant, and you're like, well, how are we going to order? It's all in Russia. It's all in Russia. And I'm like, do you see the pictures over there? Yeah. Well, just point to one, and we'll order that. And then... We got on the Trans-Siberian train, and the menu was real plain. And there was no pictures. And you threw the menu down in disgust. And you're like, there's no pictures. I'm not going to be able to eat for days on this train. I didn't say that. Well, work with me on the story here, okay? You said that. And I'm like, well, Dad, why don't you just read the English words under the Russian title? Oh, okay, I can eat. We're okay now. I don't remember any of that. I know. You blocked it out. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's a true story. Trust me. But anyway, so Vladimir, the thing I thought was the most interesting was the history, and it was the fact that all the Mongol attacks that happened, and it wasn't just this town, it was the whole eastern and central part of Russia, but they were really concerned about the Mongol attacks starting, I think, in the 7th century, and the 12th century would have been the Genghis Khan horde that came through. Yeah, and the the thing of it is, these are great walled cities, and the Mongol invaders, they were powerful. They came from all the way from Mongolia and China and in that area. And the West, we just hear the history of the West, but they were as good of uh, generals, some of them, as... Uh, Alexander the Great, which we consider the greatest general because of all he captured, well, they could capture that much land and more. Yep, you're correct. Genghis Khan had him and his offspring had the largest land empire in the world in history. Anyway, so anything else about those two towns? Not really that I can think of. Okay. So we're back in Moscow waiting for our train, and we had like five or six hours you take a book when you go and do the trip like we did. So you just sit around and read when you wait for the next thing to go. Yep. And we actually, at the train station, there was a place that you could have them hold your bag. And we gave our bag to this guy. And he had some English. I don't know if you remember this. He had some English in him and was talking to us. And he took our bag. He was very, very nice. Took our bag. And he gave us the ticket and everything. And he was holding out his hand, and he he kept pointing his palm. And he's like, dollar, dollar. And we're thinking he wants a tip. And we're like, oh, absolutely. And we give him some, you know, rubles, you know, three, four, five dollars of rubles and stuff. He's like, no, no, no. And what I figured out he wanted, do you have a U.S. $1 coin for his collection? Yes. (laughs) He didn't want a tip. He wanted just to have the one U.S. dollar coin. But that didn't happen right at the end. That happened earlier in the... uh, That was right at the beginning, before we boarded the Trans-Siberian train. 
we went across some trading at a coin sh- show. And that's where that I... That was another place that wanted it. That one coin was very popular over there. People, if you go over there, take some U.S. $1 coins because people would love you to to trade with you or whatever. You know, I mean, it's a dollar. You could give them away and they would love it. Okay, so we get on the train. We have boarded the Trans-Siberian train. We thought. No, we have. Well, yeah. We just weren't on a Russian car. We were on a Mongolian car because we were headed to Mongolia. That whole train was a Mongolia train, except for the last three cars. And we were in first class, and sadly... The second-class Russian cars were better than the first-class Mongolian cars. This thing, well, it was decorated like it was 1966. Well, it was... uh, Probably was. Probably was, because when you flush the stool, uh, they wouldn't let you flush the stool 10 minutes before you got to town or 10 minutes after you left the town. But once you're out in the country, you flush the stool... You could see the track going by on the on the ground below you. I say, what are you saying? Flush the toilet. It's a hole in the train. Well, you had to let it out somewhere. And the bed was hard as a board. I don't even know why they acted like it was covered. We were sleeping on a board. They had no heat. Was it the first night? No, it was the second night. The second night on the train, at night, they went across the Euro Mountains, and they had no heat. And so we went back to the dining car and sat there. It was Russian, not Mongolian. And we ate back there and we were sitting there. Shane found some young people that was in Russian second-class cars behind the dining car. And he found one of them that spoke English. Okay, so that was Alex. And he's Russian. And he's got broken English. And he's sitting there in shorts and a t-shirt. Because, I mean, he's Russian, and he's used to the cold, and he's just, he's big, bad Russian. And I finally got over to him to, you know, explain, it's cold in our cabin. Can you come talk to them? And so he comes back, and he's like, sure, sure, no problem. I'll take care of this. And we go back there. As soon as we get in the Mongolian cars, he's like, whoa, it's cold in here. (laughs) And I'm like, that's what I've been trying to tell you. And so he goes in there, and he's talking with the Mongolian uh, stewards. And he finally says, they got no heat, they got no coal. I'm getting out of here because I'm cold. And he goes back to the dining car. Yeah. All they gave us was extra blanket to cover up with in the when we went to sleep. Actually, when we went to sleep in the car, it was, uh, they, we got warm under the covers, but... You didn't want to stick your head out too far because it was cold outside. But when we woke up, the door was open to our cabin, and we had heat. And the heater is not in the cabin itself. It's in the hallway. And they had opened the door during the night, so the heat would get from the hallway would go into our cabin. We come to find out that Alex had talked to them and, co- and complained about how cold it was, they went and borrowed some coal from the Russian trains and brought it up there and, and started the fire in theirs. The reason they didn't have coal, it was 
uh, only like three days before their train quit running, and so they didn't they didn't think any they were going to have very many passengers, so they didn't put any coal on it. And in three days, they would have shut down anyway. Now, all this is told not to dissuade you from doing the Trans-Siberian train. It's to do a little more research, and I did a lot of research, but it's amazing. It's so confusing when you book these tickets and trying to figure out what is what, and it happened to be we were going to Mongolia, and I ended up booking this on the trans or the Mongolian train instead of the Russian train. There are Russian trains, which we came back from Mongolia, and we saw a couple of towns before, but then we finished the second half, and we were on a nice car at that point. Yes, but also, it, it, once we got across the Ural Mountains, it wasn't all that bad. It was, and you, you, we have something to talk about. Well, that's true. I mean, we just spent 10 minutes talking about it. So, I'm thinking right now, let's skip over the Mongolian part and talk about the rest of what we saw in Russia. We came back from Mongolia and we visited Irkutsk. Yes. In order, we didn't really see that much there because we took a flight, a very long flight actually, over to Yakutsk, which is up in the central northern part of Siberia, and we're about 500 miles south of the Arctic Circle. And I wanted to go there simply to go to this place called the Lena Pillars, which is on the Lena River, and I believe it's the 11th largest, longest river in the world. And it's not named after the communist leader of Lenin. It was it's spelled different even. Yeah, it's L E N A Lena. And so I think we were there what three nights? Uh yeah, I believe so. And we got there nine o'clock at night or so. I mean it was a long flight to get up there, two flights to get up there. One of them we had to change, we had to go back through security, quote unquote, at this airport, which was literally a shack with two rooms in it and once you got through security you weren't allowed to leave this one little room i don't even know why they had a carousel since they could put all the bags right there and you just pick it up but and i think it was eight hours all told to get up there and we were going to pick up a bus but something happened well we shane had had done his research and he knew we were supposed to get on the bus number two at the bus station. And we are supposed to go uptown to some location. This woman that Shane had kind of flirted with on the plane and through customs or through getting her baggage. I didn't flirt with her. I was simply being nice and talking to her. That's all. And she spoke English. But anyway, she came up to us and she said... Ask us where we were going, and we told her, and or Shane told her, and Shane said that he was waiting for bus number two. But she told us that the bus service is very unreliable, and that she had a taxi cab waiting for her, and if we wanted to, we could ride with her taxi in her taxi cab because they were going close to where our motel was. And so we said, good, thank you, we'll do it. And we jumped in the taxi cab. And then right after I got in the taxi cab, I got thinking, you know, we don't know this person. We don't know the cab driver. 
we don't know anything about this. This could be uh, one of those criminal mind ideas that you hear about. That's why I sat up in the front seat next to the door so I could get out. Oh, okay. <laughs> but the woman spoke English and she told the taxi cab driver where he was going. And he drove up basically to downtown in this city. And then he turned and he went down an alley and he was looking at this building. He went around the building in the alley and back out on the street. And the woman told Shane that this is the location they give us, but we cannot find the motel. And Shane said, well, I've got the phone number for the motel, but I don't speak English. I don't speak Russian. And the woman said, well, if you give it to me, I'll call. Shane gave her the phone number. She called, and they told us to go around in the back of the alley, and there's some concrete steps. There was no handrail or nothing, just concrete steps, about six or eight of them. And you go up to this steel door, and then there's a security code they gave her. And you punch in the security code, then you can get in the building, you go up to the seventh floor of the building, and the motel was the seventh floor of the building. There's no signs, no nothing. And you had a security code to get through, a door to get to it. There was no way we were going to find that place on our own. No, I told Shane that God had his hand involved in that that gave put that woman in our lives. Yep. Okay, everyone. We are in the middle of Yakuts, but we are pushing that 45-minute mark. I'm going to call this the end of this particular podcast, but in a very rare case, we are going to do a part two in two weeks where we're going to talk about the rest of Russia and talk about Mongolia and the rest of the train. We've got some more great stories for you and a lot of information and stuff. So I hope you check out part two of the Trans-Siberian train, Russia and Mongolia. My name's Captain Shane and I'm going to tell you fair winds and following seas.